If you have your Bibles, please open to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. This is going to be our launching passage, but we're going to jump over throughout the Bible, so that's just going to be our first text that we're going to look at this evening. So for those of you, uh, if this is your first time here, uh, you might not be aware of it, but we are going through a little summer series. Um, we started last week about, uh, well, this whole summer series really about what makes a healthy Christian community. Um, we hear that term a lot about how we want a community and that there's sometimes we lack a community or we're part of a community, but what does that mean in terms of the Christian context? Uh, particularly for believers, we know that this isn't a new idea, this isn't a new concept, but rather this is something just basic church life. What does a healthy church life look like? And for the next two months or so, we're going to go through this series. Last week, we learned about how the centrality of a Christian community first begins with the Word of God, that we are all uh, here to listen, to hear, and then to apply God's Word. All of us, uh, we, when we come here on Friday nights or Sunday morning, we're there because primarily uh, to worship the Lord and, uh, and to worship the Lord together as a local body. Um, and one of the ways we do that is by hearing God's word. That isn't the only thing that we do, to, but do at church, but it's definitely a very important part of our Sunday worship. Uh, you learn about God so you know who he is, then that should impact the way that you live out your life. So that's what we learned last week. Today, or this evening, we're going to learn about investing in one another uh, investing in one another. And this is really just a concept of discipleship. What does that mean? Because for us as believers, we, have to, we know that part of, the, part of the church is not just being in the same room with one another or that we sing songs together. Those are part of it. But, there, but being a Christian is it's not just something that you do on a Friday night or a Sunday, but it is your entire life. And every time, you, in our, any, every opportunity you have, you're trying to live out the Christian life with each other. Uh, so I have you guys turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And Paul, this is Paul's last letter to Timothy. It is said that last, last words are lasting words, and these are one of the things that Paul, that Paul has told Timothy. He writes, The things in which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men, will be able to teach others also. So we're going to look at this topic of discipleship this evening, or investing in one another. So before we do that, let's go to Lord in prayer. Father God, may you bless the message this evening. May you help us all think about what it means to invest in one another. But we know that it's by your grace and kindness that we're able to hear your word, and the fact that we were saved because of uh, one or two individuals in our lives that or multiple people that have invested in us to, to hear the gospel and then to, to be transformed by it. And we pray, Lord, that we're good stewards of the gospel so that we can go in and invest in others as well, so that they can pass on the gospel truth to future generations. Lord, be with us this evening. Allow us to be able to be attentive and that our lives will be shaped and transformed by the word of your living God. In your son's name I pray, amen. I don't know if you know this, but our elders, we usually meet twice a month. We have our full elders meeting on, the, on Sunday afternoons, on I think the first or second, second Sunday of the month. And that's when the entire elder board talk about the things of the church. We pray for you guys. Um, we talk about bigger issues. We plan ahead. 
But the other uh, elders meeting we have is really just English only, and the Cantonese one have their own. Uh, and this is, this is our time for us as elders to, to get to know each other some more, to, to, to open up our lives, to share about our struggles. And usually when Pastor Henry leads these uh, elders meetings, he would give us a prompt as a way to just kind of get to know one another some more. And the prompt that he gave us this last week was this, was this question. He asked us, name one person in your life that influenced you before you became a believer. Who is that one person that impacted you in such a way that drew you to Christ? And it was fascinating to hear. Um, if you want to know the oldest, the oldest elder in terms of being the believer the longest is Bill. He was saved in 1967. Uh, the youngest one is, I didn't realize this until we did this little exercise, is me. I was the youngest believer relative to the rest of the the, the elder board. But it's fascinating to hear just how Lord, the Lord has placed people in our lives that, that would, be, would impact our life and eventually even become our mentors. And that's what we share. We talk about each, peop, each, each individual that the Lord has providentially placed in our lives, people that motivated us, inspired us, and to support us to grow in Christ's likeness. They start off just being a good testimony to us and they shared the gospel with us. And they walked alongside us, and we all shared even just one lesson that, has still impact, that still impacts us to this very day. We understand that this is the normal part of the Christian life. Part of being a Christian and being in a healthy community is that we influence one another for gospel purposes. We influence people to be like Christ. And the Bible speaks of positive and negative influences. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that uh, do not, uh, that bad company corrupts good morals. The implication there is that there are some people in your life that could cause you to fall away from the faith or to love the things of the world or to change your morals because of the way that they live. At the same time, there are sometimes in the positive sense, First Peter chapter 2, and uh, yeah, first, the end of First Peter 2, it talks about how wives need to be submissive to their husbands in hopes to win them to Christ. Their, uh, that in their faithfulness to the Lord, that they have the opportunity to influence their unbelieving spouse to the gospel. And I've said this before, that whether we like it or not, we are influenced by those in our life, and we influence others as well. And as Christians, we know that this is the, the part of the Christian life is that we're constantly growing in Christ-likeness, and we see people in our life that impacts us that will cause us to grow some more. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, a pupil, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, but, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. In our lives, there are bound to be Christian mentors and people that we look up to, and as we grow in the faith, as we learn from them, we will eventually get to the point where they are, that we will eventually get to their level if, you know, by God's grace, we do the things that they teach us. And I think that's a true principle, and that when we think about the Christian life, we are influenced by people, and whether you realize it or not, you're going to influence others as well. There is, in, in a sense, no such thing as an isolated Christian. Being in the Christian community with each other, we, are, we should, in theory, encourage one another and influence each other to be more like Christ. 
Again, we know that sadly, sometimes we can be influenced even by people in the church to live like the world. And hopefully, as you continue walking in Christ-likeness, that you're not that kind of stumbling block. That you and your faithfulness to the Lord will cause people to grow and desire Christ, whether you realize it or not. And it should cause us to, to really think about how we invest in our lives and how we invest in other people. Because when we think about the Christian life, a healthy Christian community, it's, it requires all of us to be in each other's life, in each other's lives, so that we can invest in each other for kingdom purposes. So for t- tonight's message, I'm just going to talk about just three principles of discipleship, and I'll just draw some application as we go along the way in hopes that you guys can have a greater understanding of discipleship so that you can either be a disciple or be a disciple yourself. If you want to be in a healthy church, if this church wants to have a healthy Christian community, we need to invest in other people and be invested in. So this, here's some three points of discipleship. First, discipleship is always other-oriented. Discipleship is always others-oriented. Discipleship is never really focused on you. It's always focusing on other people. It forces you to really deny yourself, to, to think less about yourself, and have other people in your life. Whether that means people pouring into you or you pouring into other people, it's focused on other people. Discipleship does not, there's no such thing as a, a lone disciple. Everyone has other people in their life that they're either influencing or influencing or being influenced by. This, is, this means that for discipleship, it is others-oriented. And I think sometimes we think, in, we think of discipleship in terms of what can I get out of it? And, there are, and that is a good question to ask. What can I get out of it? But it can't just be that one question. You have to also think in terms of what has the Lord taught me that I can go in and, and pass this on to other people? This is why I began by reading 2 Timothy 2 too, because this is a generational thing that the first generation passed on to another person and that person passes on to other people. When you think about discipleship, it has to be focused on others. And we're going through the book of Mark, and we're heading to chapter 10. uh, And chapter 10, verse 45, it's really a key passage in the entire book of Mark, which tells us that Jesus came into the world uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Even the life of Jesus, we see that he came to the world for the sake of other people. He came into the world with making disciples for, yes, primarily for the glory of God and to win people to Christ and to win people to the kingdom of God. But he was thinking about them. His main focus is on how can he influence them and entrust them with the truth so that they can be useful in the hands of God. We have to set our sights not in terms of serving ourselves, but to serve other people, just like how Christ has done. Again, I want you guys to think in terms of why our church does discipleship the way that we do. I think sometimes we think that our church, or some criticisms of our church is that our church doesn't really do discipleship. And oftentimes those criticisms come from a really, I would say that it comes from a wrong place because they don't understand what discipleship is. People that usually criticize, not just our church, but other churches in general, when they say there's no discipleship, what they mean is that there isn't a kind of discipleship model that they like. There's a certain preferred idea of what they think discipleship should be. Some people think that discipleship could only be discipleship if they meet with only the pastors, not even the other elders, only the pastors. Others think discipleship should 
be in small group settings. Some people think it should be in home settings. And I think there's a place for every single one of those things in its proper context in the church. But when you think in terms of what can I get out of this for the sake of me, you're missing the point of what discipleship is about. Because the key of discipleship, the main thing of discipleship is that you're encouraging and being encouraged to be more like Christ. You're trying to encourage other people to, to walk in the faith and you're trying to be encouraged to be like Christ. So it's not so much about the model, but really about the purpose. And if you focus on the purpose, then in reality, every church has discipleship to some degree. Some can be better than others, but in the, at the core of it, there's always a desire. At least all faithful churches and all faithful Christians have this desire to grow in Christ-likeness and to point one another for that. Again, discipleship, if you think in that way, that discipleship is about influencing other people and being influenced to be more like Christ, then you'll, you'll focus on other people. You'll think less about what you're getting out of it and more about how the Lord can use you to grow other people, even use other people to help grow you in your life. Again, it's when you, if, you, if you only focus on what you get out of it, you're missing you're missing really half of what discipleship is about. It's not just about what you want, but about how the Lord can use you to encourage other people. So that's the first principle about discipleship, that discipleship is others-oriented. The second one is this, that discipleship will cost you. Discipleship will cost you. Discipleship is, is trying to transmit what you know about God, whether it's um, practical application of God's word or Bible knowledge or theology, everything that you know about God, you're trying to transfer from your mind into another person's mind. And it's not like, you know, chat GPT, you can't just type these things out or you can't, it's not like you just put a wire in your brain to another and then just transfer data. That's not how it works. Discipleship takes time. It takes a lot of efforts. It takes a lot of time for you to invest and it's not easy to do. Second Corinthians, uh, this is Paul writing to this church that, for the most part, tried to basically call him a, a heretic and a, not a false teacher, and, and, and Paul's making this defense here. And here in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul writes in chapter 12, verse 15, I will gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Paul understands that ministry is difficult, that it takes a lot of work, and that he labors for the people for their sake. Colossians chapter, oh, sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul writes, But even I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Philippian church, was, this was the good church. They were the faithful church. But he still had to work in terms of uh, ministering to them. It took a lot of time and effort to see them grow. And even in the, in, in the book of Philippians, you see that there's a, a little civil war going on between these two ladies. Yet, but yet, he's willing to write this letter. He's willing to minister to them. He's willing to disciple them, to shepherd them, because he loves them. But it takes work. Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 29. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. God gives him the ability to work, and it takes a lot of efforts. We know that the Bible tells us that the Lord is, is the author of our salvation, and he's going to perfect our faith. 
But that doesn't mean that he won't use other means and, and to help us with that. He's going to raise up teachers and when you, if you know, other believers to pour into you. And if, if, you, if you're being poured into, you may not understand how much work it takes. But the moment you start pouring out into other people, you'll see that it takes time. It takes effort. It takes a lot of labor of love. But it's completely worth it. We won't always see the immediate growth, and that's oftentimes the thing that discourages us the most. We try to we study God's word, we pour out and teaching them, uh, people in our life, and yet they seem to not have growth. But let me remind you that for the entire time when the disciples were with Jesus, they did not get it. He was, they had the best teacher. They had, the, they had Jesus Christ, and even in those moments, they seemed to fail to grasp some of the concepts that Jesus wanted them to learn. Jesus tells them that in his parables, Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, he presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in the field. And this is smaller than all other seed, but when it's fully grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air comes and nests in its branches. This illustration here tells us that a small little mustard seed, it doesn't grow overnight. It takes time to get to the point where birds are able to sit on, uh, on the leaves and hang out on the branches. It takes time when you to disciple and to nourish people. And it takes effort. You have to understand, if you want to have a healthy discipleship community here in the church, it's not just having other people pour into you, though that's part of it. But you need to be willing to labor to pour into other people as well. That means you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means that there are people maybe in a different age group as you, different life stage, but you're willing to invest and pour into them because you understand this is the role of the Christian. It's the responsibility for all of us to be, want to pour into one another. There shouldn't be cliques in this church because the thing that unites all of us it should be Jesus Christ. If Christ is worth it, if he is that, if he's the chief, if he's the one that you value the most, then you want him to be made known to everyone in your life, particularly the people in your church. There are and there will be people in your life that are younger in the faith who act incredibly immature, and, and by God's grace, he placed you in their life to encourage them, to walk beside them, to shepherd them, and that takes a lot of work. People are messy. Situations are difficult. But if you understand that this is why, this is one of the things that Christ expects of us as believers to pour into each other, then you will be able to, then this church will grow and thrive because we're willing to labor for the kingdom of God. We're willing to pour into one another. If you want to invest in others and, or be invested in, understand that the goal is always to be like Jesus Christ. And it takes time. Just look at your own life. When you look back in five year, the last five years, how much have you grown? Probably a lot for some and sometimes little for others. And depending on the season of your life, you might be growing and there might be a lot of fruits. And there may be time in your own life when you think about your life, like, yeah, you're not, you're not seeing the fruits of, 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 of repenting of sin and all these, different, all these difficult things that you're trying to overcome. But it takes time for the Lord to, to work in your heart and life. So be patient with those in your life. You're, some of you are in different discipleship groups and small groups, and that's great. And it can frustrate you when you see that, they, why are you still struggling with the same thing? Why are, you still, uh, go, why are you still stumbling in the same ways? Haven't we talked about this? Be patient. 
And remember that it takes a lot of effort, but it's worth it. This is why uh, Paul, uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. It takes time. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of just meditating God's word. And the hope is always for, the, for us to pour into other people so that they can grow up in the faith. Second Timothy chapter, sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and love of and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. So Paul sees the Thessalonian church. He sees their growth. And, uh, and it was not something that happened overnight. He thanks the Lord for it. And we should be the same way as well. Whenever we see growth in, in each other's lives, whenever we're in a small group or a discipleship group or whatever group when there's some sort of discipleship relationship going on, we should thank God when we see just even the most small and incremental growth. Because that's God working in their life. And those are things that you should think about. Even though the person may have a lot of flaws and things that they may not get right away, be thankful for even the little fruits that, that, that they bear in their life. Because that shows you that they are actually alive in the Lord. Because a dead plant means that, well, they're not, they're not alive. They're dead. They're not in the faith. But if you see even a little bit of growth, praise the Lord for it. And thank the Lord some more when you see them grow over time. I think that for most of us, if you've been in the faith long enough, there are people that you pour into that just that you think about that just give you great encouragement. You see, you remember what they were like when they were just young in the faith, and all that investment, all the times you're talking through theological issues or Bible passages and just things about life and trying to shape them with God's word and help them understand. And you see over time that they actually, the Lord, by God's grace, that they actually change and become more like Christ. And they're teaching, the, they're teaching other people the things that you taught them. You could, that, that should warm your heart and you could praise the Lord for any type of growth. So it takes, but the, that takes effort. It takes a lot of patience to get there. So if this church wants to have a healthy Christian community, we need discipleship. And discipleship is others-oriented. It requires a lot of work. And lastly... It takes initiative. So first, it's that it is others-oriented. It will cost you. And third, you need to, it takes initiative. You need to be open to pursuing other people in the church as well as being pursued. And, mean, and by that, I mean that if people come up to you and want to talk to you about Christianity, that's God's way of basically orchestrating a, a discipleship relationship. And again, I don't think in terms of having to be one way of discipleship, I think any type of influence you have in other people, that is a form of discipleship. I meet with different guys throughout the week, and sometimes some are just more theologically driven, others are more practical living, some are just hanging out. And in every situation, I see all of these things as means of discipleship. We have our men's breakfast in a few weeks, and a few weeks ago, we had, maybe it was last week, we had the ladies' brunch. And all of these things I praise the Lord for because these are all different ways in which the Lord has caused people in our church to invest in one another. And that's just part of, that's just discipleship. And you have to initiate these things. I think there's a danger and assumption that, like, okay, the pastors or the elders or the, the godly people are the ones that have to set up everything. 
I don't think that's necessarily always, should, I don't think it should always be like that. It should be that if the Lord placed you in a situation where, you, there's, a, where there's a younger person in the faith, and the Lord has just brought that relationship to be, be willing to invest in that person. Initiate. Be willing to go and ask the person, hey, let's hang out sometime. I want to get to know you. I want to be able to talk about the Bible with you. What has the Lord been teaching you? These, I mean, the reason, why even we ha- the reason why we even have the structure that we do on a Friday night and even on Sundays where we have the sermon and we have these questions afterwards, it's a template for you to just, I mean, it's a template in the sense that it gives you things to talk about with other people, but also it's supposed to help you think about how to think. It's supposed to give you these sample questions so that you can start asking questions about God's word. Because when you study God's word, it's not just reading for the sake of reading. That's, that's, not, that's only half of the, uh, that's only, you know, you're not fully there. You need to ask, what is the significance of this text in my life? And the reason why we ask the questions that we do is because it's supposed to encourage you to learn how to think so that you can think about the passage and apply it to your own life. So when you think about discipleship, you have to take initiative. You need to be humble about it. You need to be teachable. And those are the two key principles when it comes to discipleship. When, you, when, you, when you're in a discipleship relationship, you need to initiate. But you don't initiate a discipleship relationship for the sake of just like stumping the other person. You know, if you're not teachable, if you're not humble, you don't, discipleship is not for you. Because a, people, a person that wants to be disciple implies that there's something that they don't know, that there's something that they're lacking in their knowledge or their understanding of God's word. So they need other people to come alongside them to work those things out. Again, you, some, of, some of us, the reason why we, we don't do discipleship, I think, is pride. At the heart of it is that we are proud people. Or it could be that we just lack the priority. We don't see discipleship as significant because we don't really care about growing in Christ-likeness. So it could be that the reason why you don't initiate is because you don't see the importance of it. You don't think about why this, how, how does being in a small group, how is having this one-on-one meetup going to really have a positive impact in my life? And oftentimes, it's like the last point, it takes time. We think that if we just have like six weeks of, of a small group, that must mean that my life is going to be fixed. Sometimes that's not the case. In my life, I have a range of people that I've discipled, and some people have, usually when I disciple them, I start with, here's my, here's, here's, this is what I do, does not go and do likewise, this is what I do. Usually what I do, I try to meet with them a lot in the beginning just to get to know them, and over time, I tell them in the beginning, that, like in the beginning, we're going to meet a lot, and over time, you're going to see me less and less. It's not because I don't want to see you anymore, I'm tired of you, but it's that it should be that as, as we get to know each other, you pick my brain, I get to know you more, I, I, I pour into you, that you should know how to go about thinking about life on your own, using God's word. You feel free to call me anytime you want. And even now, my, even now in this stage of my life, sometimes people will text me and say, hey, I know we haven't talked in a while, but can we meet up sometime? And then, yeah, I'm, all, I'm open for it. But I remember early on, those discipleship relationships is like we meet every week. And it gradually just like once a month, and then once a quarter, then once, a, once every six months, and then now the point maybe once a year or once every few years. And that's normal. You know, life, uh, you know, I, I initiate those relationships. I tell them exactly what my expectations are, and gradually uh, they grow and praise the Lord for it. Maybe the reason why we don't have discipleships is because of pride or lack of, we don't see the priority in our life, or maybe we just try to hide sin. You know, we don't like to initiate discipleship relationship because we want to hide our sin. Uh, we don't want other people to know what's going on in our life. We don't want other people to expose our sin. 
We don't even want our sin to be exposed to other people. There's a lack of transparency because we don't want to change. And you have to understand, discipleship, you have, if you want true discipleship, it can't go anywhere if you don't want to change. If, if you're someone that says, like, I don't need to grow in any way, then, again, discipleship is not for you. And then, again, it should reveal to your heart why don't you want to... Uh, why don't you want to suffer? If it's lack of transparency, just understand that the Lord sees your sin. You can hide it from me. You can hide it from all the people around you, but you can't hide it from the Lord. And the reason why we should have things like a transparency culture for sake of, uh, yeah, in our discipleship relationship is because we know that we hide sin. Sin will eventually find us out. It is the reason why and Jesus said, depart from me for I never knew. It's those individuals that think that they could just do ministry, but yet they're hiding their sin. They don't want to deal with their sin, and they don't want other people to know. So they hide, and they don't want to have close relationships and, and out of fear that their sin will be exposed. Battery's dead. Oh, yes, battery died. Sorry about that. Yeah, so sometimes the reason why people don't want discipleship is because there's a lack of transparency. They don't want their sin to be exposed. So I think that's those are a few reasons why we don't do discipleships. That's just the ones that came to my mind. But when you think about initiating and, and going about discipleship, just remember that you're making, you're making a decision to grow, and you want other people to grow as well. So you, you look at the immature believer, you may not want to invest in them, but you should still do it. This is why Jesus talks about the lost sheep, right? There's that one lost sheep is willing to go, he's willing to go all out for that one lost sheep because he cares. And if we want to imitate our Savior, we need to initiate those discipleship relationships. So it goes both ways. Like you want, you invite people into your life to, to, to help you grow in Christ's likeness, and then you initiate by also going to other people and pouring into them. So I think those are those three. Well, those are three ways, but continuing on in terms of initiating discipleship. Understand that when we discipleship, it should be a lifestyle for all of us. That's why I'm not, you know, I'm not for or against discipleship programs. I think there's a benefit for those things, but it should be your lifestyle. Because if you want to grow in Christ-likeness, then you would obviously want other people to grow. You want to grow. And if you don't want to grow, you don't want other people to grow, then that should again tell you that there's something wrong with your walk with the Lord. Or perhaps you might not even be a believer to begin with. Because every believer seeks to grow in Christ's likeness. And every believer seeks to see other people grow in Christ's likeness. And this is what Matthew 28, about the Great Commission, is that we go and we teach all the things that God has commanded us to do. It's not just that we go into church and do nothing. We go into church for sake of yes, being with each other uh, as a community to worship the Lord. And one of the aspects of worshiping the Lord is initiating discipleship relationships. You're always going to be a learner of God's word. We, we won't know everything in this life. And there's the benefits of having one another. I'm grateful for this church because our church has a multi-generational uh, this is just, we're multi-generational. My wife and I, have, we just can go to different people and different resources and, because the people are different life stages. And it's just a blessing to be here to see that. You, we have to be thankful to the Lord that the Lord has preserved the older generations or the people that are older, uh, older couples that have older kids or people that have 
young families or people who are single, we should be grateful for the fact that there is such a wide range of people that we can learn from. We are called to go and make these discipleship relationships because Christians always want to learn. And the things we want to learn is not, again, it's not sake of knowledge. We're not just learning things for the sake of learning. We're not learning things for just so that we can boast about what we know. We learn about God together. We are together, we disciple each other so that we can grow in our knowledge of God. If Christ is the one that we prize and cherish the most in our life, then a disciple relationship is supposed to keep reminding one another about how great our Savior is. Everything goes back to pointing to knowing God and loving him for who he is. When you think about every single discipleship relationship, when people are struggling with finances, it's because they have a, a, a wrong view of how of how God has given them, they're just not a good steward of things that God has given them. If people are struggling with a sin, it's because they fail to understand God's holiness. If they fail to love one another in the context of the church or people in general, it's because they don't understand God's love for them. All that we learn from God's word is supposed to point us to who God is, and that should have practical implications in the way that we live out our lives. Some people... Uh, in our lives, as difficult as some of them may be, we have to realize that God has sovereignly placed them in our life so that we can all help each other grow in Christ-likeness. So you have to take initiative. You have to be mindful of your surroundings. Get to know those around you, especially those that you don't really know. Be willing to just ask them for coffee to get to know them, because that should be the culture of all churches, that we want others to grow in Christ-likeness. This is a connection that we all have, that we all want to grow in Christ-likeness. And if you have that desire, then you're always going to find, you'll find that there's every relationship in, you have in the church is going to be a discipleship relationship. But you have to be, take initiative. You have to be willing to go out humbly and just get to know people and, and ask them questions. Ask them what have they learned about the Lord this past week. Ask them what are their struggles. Be willing to talk about, uh, be willing to talk about life in relative to who God is. A healthy church community is committed to one another and it makes it a lifestyle of discipleship to invest in one another. Discipleship is a way for us to have, uh, discipleship have healthy, sanctifying relationships with one another. And I think that's something that we all need to work on, all of us, that when we think about discipleship, it's not what programs can we take from some other church or some program that we see from on the internet or some book, really at the heart of it. If, you, if we were, if our elders decide, let's just move every other program. We take away the, the music team. We take away, the, uh, um, we take away the, the children's ministry. We take away outreach. The thing that it should be the most bare minimum should be that we want to learn about God and encourage one another to live out God's word. And that's what discipleship is. We should always want that. Everything else, all the other things that we can do to serve one another, these things are great. And, and I think these things are a means of grace to us to grow, to practice our gifts, to be used by the Lord, to build up the body. But even in those type of ministerial situations, there is a discipleship aspect. I'm so thankful that downstairs right now there are people that are doing nursery because uh, I'm sure those people right now are getting to know each other and I'm sure they're building a relationship with each other for those gospel opportunities to talk about things. I'm thankful that Downstairs, there's people that are preparing for the church picnic tomorrow. 
And I'm thankful for all of you that are going to serve there. And as you're serving with each other, you're building those relationships. You're not just doing those things for sake of doing those things. Oh, those things are great. But hopefully you're serving with a mindset of thinking, how can I get to know this person so that we can encourage each other to be more like Christ? In every context, whatever you're in, in the context of the church, you should see it as an opportunity to learn to be more like Christ. So if we want our church to grow, if we want to have a healthy Christian community, then discipleship is one of those things we need. But we need to understand that discipleship is others-oriented. You have to take yourself out of the equation and think about what you want and think about how you can learn from other people, but also how you can pour out into other people. You also need to remember that discipleship will cost you. It's going to take a lot of emotional, it's going to take a lot of emotions out of you. It's going to take you. It's going to be physically exhausting at times. It's going to be mentally taxing, but it's worth it because you know that <clears throat> other people and even yourself are growing to be more like Christ. And it takes time. You're going to have to put, learn to put off things, say no to good things, to say yes to the best things. And lastly, discipleship requires you to take initiative. It's not just simply uh, showing up to church. That's, that's a good first step. But you need to go beyond that. You need to be willing to go and, and, and start developing godly relationships with one another so that you guys can continue to encourage one another to be more like Christ. And I trust that if you do these three things, then our church will continue to thrive and grow, not just numerically, but more so in their, in their love for the Lord so that we can be a healthy Christian community. And you'll find tremendous joy in that as you grow with one another, as you continue to behold how great our Savior is, you'll find true joy and happiness and be thankful because, you'll re- because church, in a lot of ways, is the closest thing we have in this life to heaven. We're going to be each other, with each other for eternity, so let's get used to being in each other's lives and hope until then that we encourage each other to behold and to love Christ more each and every single day. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for just this, how you built the church, how you put people in the church from different maturity levels and different knowledge of you so that we can sharpen one another. Lord, I'm so grateful that you brought all of us together sovereignly and providentially from different life stages, different walks of life, different career paths. All of us have one thing in common, and that is you, Lord. And I pray that you give us a, great, a greater desire, not just to be in each other's life, to live, each, to live life together, though that is great, but that we live life with each other with the intention to, to encourage each other, Um, to be more like your son, to confront each other, to put off sin so that we can be more like Jesus. Lord, may we have a greater desire for you so that we can have a greater desire for other people to be more like you, Lord. Lord, give us us just a desire to initiate and understand that it will cost us, but we're willing to make those sacrifices because because you're worth it. You command us to be in each other's lives, to practice the one another's, to build up your kingdom and so that we can have a greater love for you. Thank you for this time that we have. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So I didn't give the AV guys my questions for discipleship, but I'll have two questions. One is more like a relatively fun question. It's actually what the elders went through, which is this question. Name the one person in your life who impacted you before you became a believer. And then the second question is, how can I... How can I have a greater love for the body so that, we, so that, so that, um, so that I'm willing to go and invest in them?
And then the, and you also think the inverse. How can I humble myself to be willing to be discipled by someone else? So those are like the 2.5 questions. For question number one is, who in my life impacted me before I became a believer? The second question is, how can I uh, invest in other people and how can I humble myself to be invested in?